no, 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 Hey everybody, Norm over here, and this podcast got Michael Reno Harrell, and he's a great guitar player, singer. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy him. Please stay tuned, and please watch on the All Guitar Network. Thank you, guys. A lot of miles of pretty good money, his songs were good and his jokes were funny, and his guitar stayed in tune. Riding round in an old Ford van with pretty damn close to a damn good band. A lot of howling at the moon. Well, people loved to hear him sing Jimmy Dale or Jimmy Dean. Just any old Texas song. Well, he could make them laugh or bring them to tears. Make them dance and drink warm beer. And he could do it all night long. Texas music's all it was and all he ever really loved. Except for Molly and Colleen. He'd hock his guitar, sell his boots. But he never would have put down roots. Except for Molly and Colleen. Hey everybody, Norm over here, and we're here at the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast, and I'm so grateful to have a fantastic talent, Michael Reno Harrell, and uh, I think he's one of the greatest storytelling guitar players that I've ever heard. Um, his lyrics are phenomenal. He's got tunes that are funny. He's got tunes that are heartfelt, but he's got tunes that are truthful, and that's what I really dig about him and his music. He's on tour um, with the Storytelling Fest. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. What's that all about? Oh, well, in 1973, a high school teacher from Tennessee was riding in his car with five students, and they heard Jerry Clower, who was a country comedian back in those days, tell stories about the Ledbetter family that lived next door to him. And bluegrass festivals were just starting out at that time. And he said, you know, we ought to have a storytelling festival. little town called Jonesboro, Tennessee. It's the oldest town in Tennessee. Uh, and he thought maybe it would help promote the town, you know. So they decided to have the first storytelling festival. And somebody said, well, what should we call it? And they thought, well, let's think big. And they call it the National Storytelling Festival. And that was 1973. And it's been going on ever since, and it spawned storytelling festivals all over America, and that's one of the things I do. I tell stories all over America. So with the storytelling festival, um, there are people that play guitar and back yep. them up with music, and then there's people that just tell, uh, tell stories, yep, right? Yep. So um, there have been more and more people uh, coming into it that play guitar because people, you know, people like that. Right. People like people who play guitars, and it just enhances the stories, you know. I go at it backwards. I've been a songwriter a little much longer than I've been a storyteller, 
So what I do is I write, I find a subject that interests me and I write a song about it. And then I back up and go, okay, what would have, what would have caused that to happen? And I write the story. Sometimes the story is 20 minutes and it, and then I end the story with that song. So I'm sort of unique in that way. What's really cool is uh, Michael is from right outside of Asheville, Tennessee, Asheville, North Carolina. Right. Excuse me, got my geography wrong there it's once just again. A few feet uh, my, you know, at my age, it's it's hard to remember what was happening back in school, <laughs> other than a few punishments that I received. Uh, you know, so uh, I was always, you know, kind of a disciplinary problem at school. Get out. So, but. You find that hard to believe, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, if any of my teachers are still alive, I'm sure they'd have some stories for you. They could swap stories with mine, I can tell you. There you go. Well, you know, the thing that I really dig about his playing and his storytelling in his lyrics is everything comes from a truthful place. And you people can pick that up when uh, when you hear something, you know if it's being truthful and if it's something that sounds like the person kind of lived that or whether it's something that's kind of fanciful that really had nothing to do with them. Yeah, well, you know, what what we as storytellers do, what I'd like to describe is we elicit emotion. We try to make you feel something in your own life that you go, oh, I, I knew a guy like that. Oh, I've been to a place like that. I was in a bicycle wreck, you know. Uh -huh. That's what we're trying to do. We just try to, like any artist, this particular art form is not really any different than being a painter. We're just trying to make people feel something, you know. Well, you do it. Well, you, thanks. You got it down. And, well, you know, it's impressive to me. Um, you played a tune in my store a while, uh, a little while back, and it was uh, kind of about um, the South. And we're both... I was a very good friend of Tom Petty, and you love Tom's music as well. And uh, he had a tune called Southern Accents, and your tune is called... Southern Suggestions, yeah. Just just a list song about things in the South. Kind of like Tom's, but, but his was... This was prettier than mine. <laughs> no, I don't know. Can you do a little bit of it, please? You know, because, I mean, I, thought I was very impressed when I heard it. Well, it's just kind of a joke song, really. It's a novelty song. Uh... My wife's sister, Mary, uh, she's from, my wife and her sister grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, her sister went off to Boston, Massachusetts with Eastern Airlines and married an Italian guy from up there, which is odd because they'll crossbreed like that occasionally. Anyway, she... <laughs> I understand. So, I'm kind of a crossbred something or other. I'm not sure of what. Anyway... They're finally got enough of those winners up there, and they're looking for property in North Carolina. So I thought I'd write a song to sort of help him acclimate. It's a little bit like... It's mustard on hot dogs and ketchup on French fried potatoes. Gravy on biscuits and cornmeal on fried green tomatoes. If you're cooking a pig, you need to start about three in the morning. And if you go to the beach, pay attention to hurricane warnings. You don't order grits, they just come anytime you say eggs. 
clear fingernail polish when chiggers get a hold of your legs. Don't drink the moonshine unless you know where it was made. And never stand in the sun anytime you can sit in the shade. These aren't rules, it's just some things we figured out To make living easy when you're living down in the South Well, that's cool, because if you've been in the South and you lived in the South, you experience all of that. And uh, once again, it's the truth. And it's very, very cool, and it comes through in your voice and your music and in those lyrics. Very, very cool. And you were uh, out here at at the Ojai uh, Festival. I right? was not this particular trip, but I have been there. Uh, I was. I did a concert. Uh, we got here last week, and I did a, a concert in uh, San Diego, and then we flew up to Sacramento, and I did a cowboy gathering in Loomis. Somehow, uh, there's a great cowboy poet who sort of started all that. Uh, he was on the Johnny Carson show years ago, and then he was back every year. Johnny had him back because cowboy poet, just Johnny could take off on that, as you could imagine. Yeah. But actually, they became good friends. The guy's name is Waddy Mitchell, and Waddy uh, came to the National Storytelling Festival. I met him there. He got me on the Cowboy Poetry Gathering in uh, Elko, Nevada. So that sort of started the ball rolling, although I'm not a cowboy. I, uh, somehow they like my stories, so they put me in with all these cowboy singers and poets and it seems to work so well your wife you know we were talking about animals before and we're going to take that in a little bit uh different direction in a little bit but you know we were both talking about how much we love dogs and there we're going to talk about freebo with his dog album because uh he he does a tune called old shep and it's an old tune uh, but uh, first um, thing Elvis recorded. That's right. But it wasn't originally done by Elvis. Right? No, it was no, done no. By somebody no, it's prior old. to that. It's old. Yeah. But it's one of those tunes where if you're a dog lover, I mean, I can't. When he can't plays that tune, about two thirds of the way into the tune, I'm like bawling like a little baby. <laughs> I know. And uh, uh, your wife was talking about, you know, you can't have dogs because you guys are traveling all the time. We're on the road. You have some cats, and then you have some neighbors donkeys that come over and visit your property and you guys feed them and uh, that's about as close to being a cowboy i guess as you're going to get right well actually if if you can imagine growing up in east tennessee i was a charter member of the tennessee rodeo association so I, my high school i didn't play football i didn't play tennis i raced motorcycles and i rode uh, uh bareback bronx wow yeah so you are a cowboy then. so yeah i was yeah you learn a lesson, you get thrown off too many Well, that horses. last time I hit the ground, I thought, I'm going to stay with the guitar. Must have hit his head or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know so, uh, but let me just say something. Um, you know, we love YouTube, and YouTube has got everything on there. And they've got some brilliant stuff. The only thing I don't like about YouTube is they have so much stuff to go through it to find the great stuff. You have to kind of curate, go through a thousand things to find something great. What we're trying to do here on our podcast and on the All Guitar Network is curate great people in all different walks of life that are musically invested. And uh, Michael, um, you know, is one of the best 
I think, ever at what he does. And that's why I wanted to bring him to you. It's a little different from uh, some of the other people where it's just strictly guitar-centric. Guitar is a very important part of his fabric and what he does. But um, the emphasis really is on the lyrics and the, the songs. And storytelling, yeah. But, you know, that's the great thing about the guitar as opposed to, well, you started out as a keyboard player. You know what the what that's like. You know, That's if why you I sell just, guitars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. If you want to go just over to the neighbor's house and swap some songs, carrying a B3 and a Leslie over there is a whole different thing, isn't it? It's very tough to do. But know, that's the, the portable B3, the they haven't really, I mean, they haven't really invented one that's completely portable yet. And I think uh, I've got a bad back from carrying a B3 from many, many, many a gig. And, uh, you know, the way I play, there's a reason I sell guitars. I figured out what I could do good. So. Well, the thing about the guitar, of course, is it's portable. And it's the perfect instrument to accompany the human voice. Well, you so. can put a vibrato on a note. And it's about the closest thing to a human voice you can get. That's and that's what I love, you know, is yeah. that uh, it, it, rep, it resembles a voice. And girls way. like them. Well, that's why everybody started <laughs> studying guitar. You know, the first person that saw the Beatles and all the girls screaming, people were going, uh, the guys were going, well, if I did that, would the girls scream for me? I mean, you know, I look yeah. like... Uh, Toulouse Lautrec, or I don't know what <laughs> what I look like, but uh, but I figured if if girls would like it, maybe it's worth trying anyhow. It, you know, when when guys hit puberty about thirteen, they discover girls, and then immediately discover guitars, or one way or the other, that they find how compatible that is, and it's like I am so honed now. There you go. Well, I have to agree with you. I think that's why everybody started playing guitars to get girls, and then. Eventually, some of us learned to love music so much that we stuck with it for the other reason. I yeah. mean, I know you've been married a long time. I've been married a long time. So uh, the girl thing, that's kind of over with yeah. for us, right? You know. Yeah, although that lady sitting over there, is the, she's as big a guitar fan as any of us. It's a, She doesn't play, but she, you know, we'll be at a show somewhere and somebody will mention, oh, that's a great old guitar. I've got a lot of old guitars and I play on the road. And... Uh, you're this playing is, an old... This uh, is a 1950 double, uh, double Martin, out 17. Martin, Martin yeah. double out 17. I so, take these old guitars out and play them. Yeah, it's but, a little mahogany we'll guitar. It sounds terrific. Yeah. We'll be we'll be standing at a merchandise table somewhere, and somebody will mention my guitar, and I say, well, I've got a whole vault full of them. And, and some guy will say, oh, man, how do you get away with that? And Joan will say, well, you can't have too many old guitars. That's a keeper. I mean, Joan is a keeper. I mean, usually the women want to kill me, and, uh, you know, I'm a victim. I don't like to give people my you. address. Even the address of my store could be dangerous, you know, with a lot of wives, especially wives toting guns. I yeah. mean, that's where I kind of have to uh, draw the line. You know, I kind of I plead insanity, if that helps. Don't shoot me. I'm only the keyboard player. That's right. That's what I have to say. <laughs> So, um, you know, and Michael is also friends with a very good friend of mine, a couple good friends of mine, actually, uh, Freebo and Alice Howe. Yeah. And we did a podcast with them, and Freebo is a fantastic acoustic guitar player. But he grew up playing bass and tuba with Bonnie Raitt. Yeah, people, you know, he's played with everybody at one right. time or another. But, yeah, I mean, just the years with Bonnie Raitt would be 
enough to put him in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know. That's right. But he's a fantastic but he's a great arranger. He's and a great, great songwriter. Guitar yeah. And he does what you do, too. You use, sometimes use this half capo. Mm-hmm. There's very few people that I know that do that, but it's such a great effect. Yeah. And um, explain to us what that does. Well, this is just a regular capo. This particular capo has the E string cut off, so you get... You get drop B, but your regular chords still work. And the one that the one that Frevo uses is even smaller, and I use that one as well. Look at all this hardware this I guy's know, putting on the crazy. guitar. If you're just watching, uh, listening to the podcast, you know you can't really get the full visual of this. But this guy, but this one, it's like a workout see, just carrying only, your guitar with all this only uh, metal. Covers all three strings, so it's like. It's almost like an open D tuning, but your so, but your regular chord shapes still work. And it just opens a you know, as doors. we were talking about before, when you're writing songs, you tend to fall into patterns that you go back to because they work for you. And so, in order to to start in a different place. That's the reason I started using different capos. Sometimes you got to kind of trip yourself up a little yeah. to make you think, so you don't yes. get too comfortable with what you're doing. Exactly, right? it'll take you. It'll take you to places that you haven't been, so your songs don't all sound like the same song over and over. You know, right. it's like uh, folks that use different tunings, except you don't have to go through all that. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Freebo, he's working with this uh, lady named Alice Howe, young young gal who really is a fantastic singer oh, and great, great writer, great guitar player. Freebo's even got her playing bass on some tunes and fretless bass, which oh, is pretty cool. Well, she hears it. She's yeah, got but she's ear. a great musician. She's got the ear. No. And her pitch and her vocals mm. is fantastic. And Freebo and is a very good singer. Than he is. Listen, I may be better looking than he <laughs> is, and I, that ain't saying a whole lot. So, uh, you know, I, Halloween, I don't even we have to dress up. People go, I know what you are. And I go, huh? And they go, some kind of alien. I go, well, I guess so. So uh, We love you, Freebo. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Freebo. And, uh, Michael, you probably, you know, you got gray hair and you got this, uh, you know, Mustache beard thing, kind of like Cyrano de Bergerac or some kind yeah. of deal like that. I don't know. We all we all need a look at this point in our life. Well, right? I started this years ago just so people could go, oh, that guy. I lived on the sailboat for years, and my hair was like this long. Uh, when you say that, remember, people are listening to this. Oh, this long very is short. In yeah. very short. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but when I started, I played all my life. You know, I started the first time I got paid was 1963, and I, I wound up being a, a, a staff writer in Nashville trying to write country songs, and I got my first platinum record there within the first month that I signed. Wow! Sold a million and eight hundred copies. It turned out to be my last platinum record. Also, who was who was I with? Yourself or was it? No, else? I was I was with a a, a publishing house called uh, Major Bob Publishing. He was. He also was a manager of a chubby little boy from Stillwater, Oklahoma, by the name of Garth Brooks. Wow! The first demo I had cut was Garth cut it with just a guitar, but the song a guy by the name of Doug Stone recorded it did really well, and that was my last big song. 
anyway, so I just, by that time, I was just, I was over it. I moved back to North Carolina, put my, my mom and dad bought me a brand new 1963 Martin D-21 when I was a kid. Cause nice they gift. Knew, well, they knew I wasn't going to the University of Anywhere. I was going to the road. My graduation present from high school was a Samsonite suitcase. But anyway. Was uh, that a suggestion from your parents on that? You well, know, you get the hell out of they, here? Or what? They knew I was going to get the hell out of there anyway. So they thought, well, get him some good luggage and a good guitar. Maybe he won't come back. Send him on his way. Right. <laughs> But anyway, uh, I was disenchanted. I'd played in every seafood restaurant from Key West to Cape May, New Jersey by then. And and I thought, well, nobody wants to hear my songs. So, you know, every time I'd play one of my songs, they'd say, hey, play something we like. Play Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's what the, you know, the catch-22 is of playing in clubs and stuff like that. You yeah. see all these guys, they walk in, and the club owner uh, and the audience, a lot of times, they want you to play something of somebody else's and the the trouble is when you start doing that to make a living and you continue doing that you forget about doing your own thing and so you're either going to be kind of relegated to that for the rest of your life right or you can go to finding your own avenue and what's kind of cool about what you do is is you found kind of that fork in the road where you've gone you've figured out something that you do real well and you've turned it into a way of capitalizing on that well, and i'd like to you know tell a lot of young people that are you know listening to stuff like this that when an opportunity arises um there are a lot of people that may say uh, when they go can you do this before they even finish a sentence your answer's got to be yes yeah. because you never know where that may lead you and uh you know th- it's led you down a really interesting road which i think is very cool it's because well, the analogy I make in, in workshops, songwriting workshops and, and performance workshops is if you make widgets and you don't have a marketing department, what you have is a warehouse full of widgets. I have a marketing department. I married her. We've been we've been together 25 years. When I came back from Nashville, I had quit. And she heard me sing in a little club just with some friends sitting in with a band. And she said, you need to be singing your songs. And I said, I tried that for 28 years or something. And she said, if I find you places to sing your songs where people will sit and look at you instead of the jukebox where you go. And I said, everywhere you. And we wound up working on the road over 200 days a year for the last 25 years. Well, you know, the good thing about. But she found places where my stuff would work. Yeah. Well, the good thing about what you do is is you can play in a seafood restaurant or any restaurant. When I used to play. Uh, they wouldn't book me in a restaurant because nobody would want to eat after they heard me play. <laughs> I mean, I kind of ruined people's appetite. And, uh, you know, again, the most expensive ticket was towards the back door, so you get the hell out of there. So um, you figured out what you can do. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really cool because, I mean, I kind of uh, – in my old age, um, where I, I don't really play much anymore, but I recognize really excellent players and and greatness in a lot of ways. I think that's probably one of the best things that I can do. And when I hear something really exceptional, I want to bring that to the people so that they can hear something that's a little out of the ordinary. And we're curating. If you want to hear some of the best storytelling music, Michael is one of the greatest I've ever heard. And I'm, you know, and I've just met him recently. And immediately I kind of went to that and went, this guy's not your ordinary songwriter, storyteller. This guy's something really special. We we really love what we do. And we're lucky that we can 
make a living doing that, you know. And we get to see America and people show us their favorite things and you know, we're just we're we travel all over America and we're never tourists. It's great. Yep. It's they really bring great. you into their homes, yes. maybe give you a home cooked meal. Yes, yeah. yes. And show us the best place to eat breakfast and all those things, you know. I've been, some people tried to poison me a couple of times. So I, you know, I mean, but in, in your particular case, I can see where they would uh, uh, do some, do something. You did like a tune that was kind of this funny tune about uh, your wife tossing away all your good stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, can you do that for us? Cause I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, there, again, there's a lot of truth to this. And I think anybody who's been married for a long time probably has experienced their wife kind of going through their stuff going, you don't need that. You don't need this. You you know, when you try to tell your wife she doesn't need her stuff, you get a different answer. So what's this tune called? It's called Downsized. There's a trash bag full of baseball caps sitting by the door and about 200 T-shirts that I don't wear no more And my favorite worn out sweatpants Aren't in my middle drawer You see my wife's decided I've got stuff that we don't need no more I'm being downsized Right before my eyes The things I cherish She thinks are garish My life's gone downhill since she found goodwill, my stuff's gone bye-bye. I'm being downsized. Hey, honey, don't throw that remote away. We might find the VCR. And I might decide to reinstall that CB in our car. I keep those worn out lawnmowers in case I need a part. And my beer can collection's really more a work of art. But I'm being downsized right before my eyes. The things I cherish, she thinks are garish. My life's gone downhill since she found goodwill. My stuff's gone bye-bye, I'm being downsized. So it's been 20 years or so since I used that tennis racket. And the 80s since I wore that members-only jacket. Then I pointed out her closet and all the clothes she never wore. Ah, but when I started counting shoes, she slammed the closet door. I'm being downsized right before my eyes. The things I cherish, she thinks are garish. My life's gone downhill since she found goodwill. My stuff's gone bye-bye, I'm being downsized. Uh, what's that, honey? <laughs> what do you mean you want to park the car in the garage? What? What? Why am I? Why am I saving a dried-up sweet potato 
Does the term folk art not mean anything at all to you? Well, darling, look at it. It looks exactly like Richard Nixon. <laughs> oh, and I heard you talking to Susan on the phone when I came in. You didn't think I heard what you said, did you? Well, I heard what you said. You said that I was not romantic. <laughs> Me, not romantic. After I'm the one who dedicated his first taxidermy project to you. When you're the one who said, Oh, I don't think it's a good idea to pick up a dead raccoon on the side of the road and bring it home. Well, look who's laughing now, darling. See what a lovely table lamp it made. My stuff's gone bye-bye. I'm being downside. Hey, that's Michael Re uh, Reno Harrell. And that Michael, he can sure play and he can really come up with some fantastic lyrics. Really funny and really truthful. Um, I think every married guy has probably experienced that same kind of thing. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys for uh, listening to this podcast on uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, the Norms Are Guitars podcast. And the video of this uh, next week on the following Tuesday, you'll be able to see for free at the All Guitar Network. So I don't know why you'd want to see us, but if you <laughs> want to see what we look like, uh, you know, you can maybe make a still picture out of it, turn it into a dartboard. I don't know, whatever you want to do. But uh, I want to thank Michael. He is really the real deal. Stick with us because we got some more coming at you. And he's got a lot of tunes. So we'll be right back. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar Network. It's free, and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the All Guitar Network exclusively. everybody we're back with michael reno harrell and a very very impressive musician songwriter lyricist storyteller and uh, this is a completely different episode than a lot of the other episodes we brought you but again i think you'll realize that the quality is very high and that's what we want to do is we want to weed out all the mediocrity and bring you the best of the best of what they do so, Michael, thank you for doing this for us. I really appreciate it. So, thank you know, you when, when you're playing, I notice you do a lot of that uh, thumb-picking, um, rotating right. um, thing. Alternating, yeah. Is it like that Chet Atkins kind of thing? or what Well, actually, it? it goes back to uh, East Kentucky. Uh, there's a, uh, Ike Everly, the Everly's sure. band. Yep. And, uh, of course, Merle, Merle Travis made that they call them Kentucky Travis thumb pickers. Yep. You use that alternating bass, and then typically those guys use just an index finger. Doc Watson did, uh, Merle Travis did, Ike Everly did. Uh, I learned to use two fingers and a thumb because I learned from Earl Scruggs. I was backstage in the 60s somewhere, 
I think Roan Mountain High School. You're that old? Oh, gosh, yeah. I guess you are. Gosh, yeah. Me too. Anyway, I went backstage, and, and as a lot of you old folks may remember or from YouTube, when Flatt and Scruggs would do the gospel numbers or the Carter family numbers, Earl would take off the banjo, put on a big D-18 Martin, hold it up to his ear, and play that same style, that alternating thumb. And But he used two fingers. And I asked him, I said, Mr. Scruggs, could you show me how you do that? And he demonstrated it for me, gave me a lesson, and uh, a quick lesson. And, and then he, and I said, but you use two fingers rather than one. And I've watched Doc and Merle Travis, and they only use one finger. He said, well, son, I've already got two picks on her, and it seems like a waste of a good pick not to use both <laughs> of them. So that's, people ask me, Who, did you learn that from Doc? And I spent many, many hours with Doc Watson. But no, I learned from the banjo player. I learned to to play the guitar like that from Earl Scruggs. Imagine if you had twelve fingers, what oh, you could Lord. do, right? <laughs> well, yeah. it's all I can do to keep up with two fingers and a thumb. I'll tell you. Have you seen the uh, that special um, on bluegrass music? That's on, you know, uh, on country music. Yeah, the, the Ken Burns one. Yeah. No, we we Man, don't have a, we don't have a television, so I'm waiting for it to come on the internet somewhere. We uh, we haven't had a TV in twenty five years, thirty. So, so is that of, on purpose, or should yeah. we have some people send some money in? No, no, it's on purpose. Did You know, we just thought, what would it be like to spend our evenings together talking and, you know, reading? and? Well, you are romantic. Well, yeah, Whoa, yeah. man. Pretty good for an old hillbilly, huh? There you go. Once I learned I to read, it. I thought, I think I'll <laughs> do that. <laughs> well... For those of you who haven't seen it, it's pretty terrific. And, you know, Vince Gill did one of our podcasts, oh, yeah. and he was on that quite a bit. And it really documents a lot of these guys and their style of playing and how the music really progressed over the years. And Ken Burns, like he did with baseball and, uh, you know, Vietnam War and all kinds of other stuff. Jazz. When he does it, jazz, yeah. he does it really thoroughly and really it's entertaining, but it's very educational and it's it's really cool. I, I really suggest if you haven't, TV to watch it. Maybe go over to some friend's house that might have some electricity I'll, and a TV. You I'll know. probably buy it. I tend to buy all his stuff. We've got all his series at home with it, you know, on disc. Uh huh. But <laughs> you were saying, you were saying too. You know, I was talking to you before, and you were saying that there's so much better stuff kind of on the internet these days, you oh, know, yeah. than just your regular standard TV with all the commercials and all that. I mean, anything that I like now, there's like about 10 commercials are like five minutes of show, 10 minutes of commercial. I forgot what I was watching. Yeah. 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 So. No, there's so much, so much, you know, I, w I was, uh, telling one of the guys over in your store, when I was a kid, I was at the Galex Fiddlers Convention, and there was a guy, I'll never forget his name, Stanley Valk from Chicago, who could come down, and we, we just sort of started jamming together at a fire. And he had finger picks, like I did, but he he wasn't playing country music. He was playing this tune, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with, a tune called the St. Louis Tickle, which is an old jazz piano piece, of course. And I asked him, where did you learn that? He said, a friend of mine had it on an old record, and I sat with it for over a, you know, a week and figured it out. When I, when I was a young man growing up in East Tennessee, I had never heard of Piedmont Blues. I knew absolutely who I didn't know who Reverend Gary Davis was. I didn't know who any of them. And, and, and that, there was no way to find out. That Piedmont style is kind of that rotating bass thing too. Isn't yes, it, it is. Yeah, it's very ragtimey. It's that same 